0: Making America grateful again—a little just play on a theme and words—but I firmly, firmly believe in the principle that America could use a couple notches up in gratitude. Anybody with me this morning? And how the culture of the media has just become so negative that probably I don't know. If weeks before we were theming our Independence Day weekend, that that term just came alive in me. Let's, let's pray for just an outpouring of God's gratitude again, and it's got to start in the church. Amen? Amen. And so this is, going back, this is what our um, President Abraham Lincoln shared. Uh, this is 1863. He says, we've grown in numbers as a country. Wealth and power as no other nation have it, has ever grown. And that's a couple hundred years ago and how much more now. He says, but we have forgotten God. We've forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace, multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we've vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. And so gratitude really does begin, especially for you and me that have a biblical worldview, with understanding and thanking God that he has supplied, that God makes a way. And this is the same kind of sentiment that was poured out in the book of Deuteronomy hundreds and hundreds of years before Abraham Lincoln penned this. It was in the book of Deuteronomy where God said, when I bring you into this good land, and he said, indeed, it's going to be a good land, and it does flow with milk and honey, and you're going to be tending fields that you didn't clear or plow, And you'll be living in houses that you didn't build. And and God makes these promises. And then he says, but when you get to that place, don't forget where it came from. Don't forget where it came from, that it's me that's given you the power. And that word power is the ability, the capacity, the opportunity to make wealth. He said, let it be known that it's me that's done those things. And so uh, we're going to go in one more round concerning gratitude and thankfulness. And uh, I, I just pray it grows. It's grown in me. So uh, I hope you don't grow weary of the subject because it's grown in me. And I was going to do it one week and then two weeks and now three weeks. And who knows? But anyway, here's a couple thank yous from our church. I thank God for life that I can breathe and I can... Uh put my glasses on. I thank God for glasses at 61 years old. I thank God for life that I can breathe and walk and talk and think that all parts of my body functions. And most of all, I'm thankful for eternal salvation. God is good. God is great. Amen. I'm thankful for God and God's unending love. I praise God for my family and his work within both spiritually and physically. Thankful for his word and the truthfulness of it. Lord, I'm grateful for the ability to move and to dance for you. Leslie, amen. God, I'm so thankful all four of my children their spouses are fervently seeking Jesus for their lives and families. Just as the Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart. God's faithfulness is so awesome. He makes me feel so loved and so full of him. God is good, amen. I'm thankful for you healing power and forgiveness. I'm thankful for life. I thank you for the blessings and opportunities for providing a job where I can obtain finances, an opportunity to care for my family and contribute to your body. Thank you for your word and promise to see me through the tough times. Thank you for the wife given to me to help me in so many ways. I'm thankful that my life matters to him. Wow. Anybody grateful that your life really matters to God, that when he, when he brought you to the earth, he had a plan for you and that your life matters? You, Jesus, have given me joy for the spirit of heaviness. Aren't you glad that he exchanges that, that he gives us joy for heaviness? He's taken away all my fear. He's taken away my guilt and shame, and he's given me love for my husband and brought life to our marriage. He has freed me from the power of the enemy, where before I walked in continual defeat. Thank you, Lord, for that. Freedom, just victory in, in hearts. Thank you, God, that I have a family that loves me cares for me and is there for me every day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross. I'm thankful thankful for a happy marriage and three beautiful, healthy children in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Things to be gra- grateful for. And so uh, this is President Abraham Lincoln just instilled in that, that thought and echoed through Scripture that gratitude should be a part of our Christian life. It starts with God. This is what James 1, 7 says. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. So James just gives and, again, reemphasizes the truth that every good thing comes from God, that every good gift comes from God. He's the one that bestows it on us. And in the New Living Translation, it says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from us from God, our who? Our Father. Who created all the lights in the heavens, he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. And so the revelation there again is is, I don't know about you, but when I get outside of city living and city lights and city haze and city fog, because of Pismo where we live, and, and get to a place where you can see the stars and you can see how far, how, how huge, how uh, amazing the universe is. You get a revelation of that, that it's our good Father in heaven that did all that, and it's still expanding, that cares for you and me, that sends gifts to you and me. How about you it makes me grateful, amen? So gratitude for us with a biblical worldview starts with appreciating God as Father, appreciating that good and perfect good things come from Him, and uh, it, it should produce in us a thankfulness. This is Robert Emmons, and you know, it's amazing if you just start Googling gratitude and the importance of gratitude and the benefits of gratitude and and strategies for cultivating gratitude that a lot of the, the responses come from the Christian community, the Christian faith, but now and now, or more and more now, that they're recognizing across secular streams and secular circles the importance of just cultivating gratitude in people. So Berkeley and USC has centers on developing gratitude and enhancing gratitude and teaching gratitude and trying to inspire gratitude. They're recognizing what Scripture said thousands of years ago, grateful people do better. Grateful people are happier. Grateful people have better marriages. Grateful people are are better employees. And so this is Robert Emmons. He writes for Greater Good Magazine. He's a Christian, but I think he's at USC. He said, reigning in entitlement and embracing gratitude and humility is spiritually and psychologically liberating. Gratitude is the the recognition that life owes me nothing and all the good I have is a gift. It's not getting of what we are entitled to. My eyes are a gift. So is my wife, my freedom, my job, and my every breath. And so there's a shift in thinking sometimes when we live with the idea that I deserve more, that I'm entitled to this, and it should go better for me, and I should have that, and and jealousy can come in because you got that, and I don't have that, and that discontentment that's bred in us and just amplified through our culture. When we stop... And we just say, God, I, I just recognize it's all from you. Some could argue, well, you know, I, I've worked hard. I've got a degree. I, I worked seven years for this degree. I've, I've done this. Well, you know, back back up. Who, who gave you the wisdom that you could even get through seven years of college? Who, who positioned you in the United States of America or opened a, jo- a door so you could pass the test to pursue a master's degree? Who opened the door so that you could get the job? Well, I opened that door. It was through connections I made. Well, who gave you the connections? And you can go back to that, and when you and me stop and say that much of what I'm experiencing or most of what I'm experiencing is because of the goodness and the giftingness that God has given me, it should turn my heart towards him to say thank you. Amen? Robert Edmonds, he goes on to say this. Oops. He says, gratitude is born of humility. For it acknowledges the giftedness of the creation and the benevolence of the creator. In gratitude and humility, we turn to realities outside of ourselves. We become aware of our limitations and our need to rely on others. In gratitude and humility, we acknowledge the myth of self-sufficiency. We look upward and outward to the sources that sustain us. Becoming aware of realities greater than ourselves shields us from the illusion of being self-made, and shifts us towards an appreciation of others. So when we start living in gratitude, you've probably seen the picture, it's a a fence post with a frog or a turtle on top of it, and it says, I didn't get here by myself and 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 the same thing in life when when we live with the idea that we need other people, that God's built those systems in, that we're here to encourage and strengthen, and and that I'm not just this independent guy that can live in a cave, no I'm connected, and God's connected me to other people and other resources and and, and other people that are helped to complement, encourage and strengthen, and likewise me towards others that were connected that way, and it came from God, and He set it up that way, it can form in us and build in us an appreciation for His goodness and for greater things. Amen? So let's go to Scripture on it, because one of the emphasis I wanted to talk about today is how Thanksgiving works with our faith. How Thanksgiving can lead to uh, just open doors and lead to blessing and lead to answers when we work in it, not just the requesting part, but the thanksgiving part in our prayers. And we're going to look at a couple instances in the Gospels where Jesus exercised that, how he positioned himself in thanksgiving and the results that followed. So this passage is out of Mark 11. I guess I didn't put the reference on there, but most of us know this passage around here. This is Mark 11:22 through 24. And Jesus answered them and said, have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea, and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believe those things he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. Last week we talked about life and death and the power of the tongue, the importance of our words and measuring our words, and and there's life in our words, and it impacts atmospheres, how we're speaking. Verse 24 says, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, Do what? Believe that you receive them and you'll have them. So this part that when I'm praying to God, I got to believe he's going to answer me. When I pray to God and just speak words of petition, in that, if I'm really trusting and believing he's going to answer, shouldn't there be a thankfulness before the request comes? Shouldn't there be in my prayer request, if I'm believing, a thank you that says, God, I already know you hear me? And uh, I'm just trusting that you're going to work and move. Shouldn't that be part of it? So in thanksgiving, that, that praying forward, part of praying forward is asking, but also thanking for the result ahead of time. Our words are powerful. Do you believe that? Yes. Next service, Randy and Shawna Fashea will be here. And uh, they were in our church years ago. They both got baptized here, rededicated their life to the Lord. And they have family property, 20 acres in Kansas, where they've moved and they're living. But Randy still has a business here. So once a month he flies back to Santa Maria to tend with his business. And they're at a beach house for a little summer break. So we were hanging out the other night down there. And uh, he told me a story that uh, the church they're going to now in Wichita, it's called Triumphant Faith Center. Somebody shared a story a farmer, a cotton farmer, Bull weevils were eating up all the crops in the the area for, I guess, miles around. And this farmer got a revelation about the blood of Jesus and went around his property and pled the blood of Jesus and and anointed the property with oil. And the bull weevils came up to his property and they stopped and died. And there was evidence, dead bull weevils around the perimeter where he prayed. Other farmers came to see that because it was so amazing. So Randy gets this revelation because they're on 20 acres, wooded acres. They're raising hardwood trees. They got two little kids running around. There's copperhead snakes. So he said, we went around, he and Shauna, and pled the blood of Jesus around their property, anointed with oil. I know that sounds goofy to people. The Christians are out doing that stuff. It just seems like superstitious. But this is what happened. So two weeks ago, Randy says, he hears this dog barking, goes out on the porch and there was a shovel there that he was clearing brush with around the house. And, and he looks down. There's a dead snake. Its head's here. Its body's here. And the shovel moved. It's over there. And there's blood on the shovel. And there's nobody around for 20 acres. Nobody around. He and Shauna live there. Nobody's around. Dead snakes. Blood on the shovel. Do, 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 do. <laughs> What happened to the snake? He said, Mike, I'm, I firmly believe when we pray and believe God that he puts angels over our property. And he does those things for a sign that he protects and he takes care of us. And that might tweak you a little bit. It's tweaked me all week, but it built my faith to say, God, I'm believing you. I'm speaking your word. I'm believing your word over my family. Amen? And when Josh went down on his motorcycle, he didn't go down. He hit a deer going 35 miles an hour, didn't even knock him down, killed the deer. But I I know when I talked to him that night, I told him, ride with the angels. And then he calls me a few hours later, Dad, you'd never believe what happened. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? So thanksgiving's an act of faith. And let's just look quickly at times when Jesus gave thanks as miracles were about to happen. This is in a couple gospels. In John's gospel, chapter 6, multitudes were following and Jesus is healing and ministering. It gets towards the end of the day and the disciples come to him and said, Jesus, there's a bunch of people here and they're hungry. We should send them away before the sun goes down. And I think the disciples are saying, Lord, we're really super hungry. So if this crusade doesn't get over, we're not going to get anything to eat tonight. But they frame it and say, it's the people, Jesus. The people are hungry. Where are we going to send them? And so he tells them, you feed them something. And so in John 6, verse 9, he, he asked, what do we have available? And they said, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they, why are, but what are they for so many? Verse 10. Jesus says, have the people sit down now. There was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And verse 11 says this, then Jesus took the loaves, and when he would given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, read the last line with me, as much as they wanted. Now, this is just, you know, we've read this over and over, but the idea that he, Jesus, would say, we're going to feed these guys. I don't know, if I looked out on 5,000, I looked here and I had a couple fish and a bunch of loaves. I, I don't know what I would do, but he gave thanks. The scripture said he, he first broke, he gave thanks. And, you know, he's Jesus, but if he wouldn't have given thanks, would, would they multiply? If, if he wouldn't have prayed a believing prayer or a thanksgiving prayer or a trusting prayer or, or turning this over to the Father, if he wouldn't have prayed that prayer of thanks... W- would the miracle happen? I don't know. I don't know. I-, I have to think that's a component. You position yourself when you're giving thanks for an answer when you're asking. You position yourself when you're going to the Lord with a, position, or a petition, but you're already thanking Him for the result. There's something about faith that says, thank you, before you see the manifestation And Jesus is praying over this, and he gives thanks, and then they start distributing them, and and so much so that if you read the next couple verses, they're taking up baskets of leftovers. So when I think, what did you give thanks for? Lord, what was the thanksgiving prayer? Was it just that the multitudes would be fed? Or did he thank the Father that my disciples are going to get it? They're going to understand their authority. I'm praying, Father, that the disciples, my followers, understand that you always want to provide. Did did he give thanks for what's going to happen when the crowd sees a miracle? That This is going to stir their faith, and it's going to make them want to serve the kingdom of God. When when you and me are giving thanks, we can put some things in place. We can call on heaven to, to leverage the situation, to maximize the situation. When we're giving thanks as we're petitioning God to move and to intervene and to come into a situation. Does that make sense this morning? So Jesus asked him. He gave thanks. He broke it, and it just didn't feed him. There was extra. I don't know if he prayed for extra. He said, Father, we need some dinner too. So multiply the lunch because my boys will be complaining in a few hours because they want dinner too. I I, I don't know what the, the end of the prayer was, but Scripture says the Lord answered in abundance because he gave thanks. Might be a lesson for you and me Here's another time we go a little farther in John's gospel. We come to chapter 11. This is a heavy one. Jesus has been teaching and healing, doing miracles. And now Lazarus, who is one of his buddies, the report comes back that he, he's dead, or he's, that he's already died. And Mary and Martha are his sisters. Jesus is close to all three of them. You look through the Gospels, they hung out together in Bethany. It sounded like there was a ministry headquarter house there. And it was a young life house back then. And uh, probably a great time with Jesus back then. And Mary and Martha, you know, their friends come and say, Jesus, you got to come. Your your friend Lazarus is dead. And uh, they don't know what to do. They're in despair. And on the way, you know, he hears that there's travail and trouble. He goes into the house... And the interesting thing when you read the whole passage, Jesus, he even groaned. It says like three times he groaned within himself. Scripture says there he even wept. So the emotion of the moment was real. His friend had died. It had brought grief. It brought sorrow into the house. And Jesus was moved by those things. So what can we learn about him? That his heart identifies with sorrow and pain. His heart identifies when we're going through tough stuff. And scripture says this is what he did. He, he lifts up his eyes and he says, Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me. And in, in that prayer, just connecting, just, just saying, God, ahead of time, I'm thanking you for. And in my thank you, in my already uh, you know, praying ahead, thank you, God, I'm inviting you and inviting your in, inviting your power and your presence to manifest in this situation. He says, I know that you always hear me. Verse 43, now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he disrupted one more funeral by that. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus come forth, roll away the stone, they roll away the stone, and here comes Lazarus, been dead four days. Some of them said, don't, don't do that, His body stinketh in the old king James, because he'd been buried. And, and here, under the authority, thanking God ahead of time, here comes the results, the answer to the miracle. I believe thanksgiving positions us for the miraculous. Thanksgiving ahead of time positions us for the answer. I, I again wondered when he said, thank you what?" what Exactly in that thank you was, was he, was he thanking it for. He said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. As he's saying, thank you, God, that you know my groanings. You know, literally, it says viscerally. He, he was groaning. There was a groaning within him. Thank you, God, that you hear the cry of desperate people. Thank you, God, that you, you know our burdens. You know our weaknesses. Thank you, God, that you know our sorrow. Is he saying, thank you, God, that when this thing turns, people are going to know. My disciples are going to know. They're going to understand their authority. What, what's he thanking him for? And I think this is an important, even when we're going to prayer, that we're thanking. When we're thanking, we're, we're asking for results. We're looking and pondering and saying, Lord, as we enter this challenge in this trial, when I stop to say thank you, I'm also thinking about how this thing could turn out and asking you to do some things in the midst of the challenge and the trial not just to answer the prayer but there's other layers that can help people that can turn things that can give understanding and so when we don't just charge in God would you do this but when we stop to thank we're, we're looking at the result and we're framing the result and saying God in the middle of my prayer in the middle of my trial in the middle of my request I'm thanking you that through this I'm going to learn strength that through this my family members are going to see that you're still good and you're real and you're alive today as you were back then. Do you get that? So in thanksgiving, there's this stopping, there's this pausing, there's this framing of what we're asking the Lord to do. And the last one example is on the night he was betrayed, right before he went to the cross. He's with his guys, the last supper. And the Lord said, uh, and the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The night before, you're going to die. The night before, you're going to be crucified, the most horrible death. You're the king of glory. You're going to be arrested and spat upon and and whipped and beaten. Really, Scripture says beyond recognition. The night before that happens, you take bread and you give thanks. The night before that... the. you know, what you knew you were destined to do is going to happen? Is there anxiety about that, Jesus? Is there fear over that? What, what is this that you could hang out with your guys in the night of your betrayal and give thanks? It's an example for you and me in our trials, in our testing. Can we say, can we look at it and we, we can give thanks? And say, Lord, I'm just thanking you for grace to help me get through this. What was Jesus thanking for? Was he thanking that he's looking around at these guys and he's seen their lives transformed? So he's about to give his up, but he looks around and said, my mission was to, to raise up a team and look at these guys, how they've changed. Was he giving thanks for his guys? Was he given thanks for the relationships he'd built? Was he would built? Was he giving thanks that it won't be long, Father, I'm going to be back in heaven with you? What, what could he do? The circumstances are overwhelming, but what was it that he could step back from and still give thanks in the middle of the stuff? And I be, believe in that thanksgiving, the power of God, the comfort of God, the help of God came as he gave thanks. as so he was about to face his greatest trial of all time. And I do believe that in your life and my life, and we give thanks even in the midst of our trials. In the middle of our testing, it brings the presence of God and the help of God. Anybody with me this morning? Amen. So here's here's the deal. This is what Paul told us to pray in Philippians 4. We looked at the examples and maybe why Jesus prayed this way, but here's the deal. When Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Pre-service prayer, one of the gals was praying over anxiety in the church, people that are fighting with anxiety and struggling with anxiety. We prayed against that, that would lift from people today. Paul prays, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything, say everything. So he didn't say in some things, it didn't mean there's big things, don't bring those to God. He didn't say when there's overwhelming things, you know, too much for God right now. He said, no, in everything, that also means the little things, in everything by prayer and supplication, with what? With thanksgiving. He said, position yourself for answers with thanksgiving. With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, what surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He said, Look, if you approach it this way, if you bring your prayers and supplications to the Father, but not just like rattling off your list of needs, but when you come with thanksgiving, you're gonna position yourself. You're going to position yourself for peace. You're going to position yourself with, for a peace that surpasses your circumstances, that's above and beyond the trials you're facing. When you position yourself with thanksgiving, something's going to shift. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will do what? Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When I think about that peace guarding my heart and mind, I, 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 I think it, it flows over my mind and into my heart. Have you ever experienced that? It's challenging, tough stuff, and then here comes the peace. Just over your mind, settles in your heart. Where anxiety was, now there's a confidence. Where distress was, because I've thanked God and, and I've just given it to him, I've released it now. His presence comes, it's going over my mind, settling in my heart, I have peace It's beyond circumstances, beyond what the the negative report is, beyond what the bills are. There's a difference to it when we come to him with thanksgiving. Amen? Wow. So three times in a row now, I go to the benefits with no time left. So I'm just going to hit it quick. But benefits of gratitude. Studies link gratitude to a stronger immune system, lower blood pressure, better sleep quality, reduced risk of heart disease, and better kidney function. I think gratitude revealed this website was Berkeley's website that found that out. So something good's coming out of UC Berkeley. Hallelujah. Anyway, they're figuring out you get better kidneys from being great at having gratitude. And your kidneys will work so good that you can give one away. Praise God. Not really. Anyway, sweet sleep. In the journal Applied Psychology, Health and Wellbeing specifically, researchers found that when people spend 15 minutes jotting down what they're grateful for in a journal before bedtime, they fell asleep faster and they stayed asleep longer. So just downloading, just downloading a few things that you're grateful for can help with sleep. If you're an insomniac, here's a tip. Amen? Here's some other benefits. Grateful high schoolers have higher GPAs as well as better social interaction and satisfaction with life than their non-grateful counterparts, according to a 210 study in the Journal of Happiness. Researchers also found that grateful teens were less depressed or envious. When combined combined with previous research, a clearer picture is beginning to emerge about the benefits of gratitude in adolescence. And thus, this is the part I like, an important gap in the literature on gratitude and well-being is beginning to be filled, researchers wrote. So in other words, they're starting to figure this out, that rather than just feeding yourself on negativity and negative video games and negative, negative, negative all the time, wait, 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 Let's, let's build in them a heart of gratitude and see what happens in their lives, better GPA, better friends' relationships, better ability to get along. I think there needs to be a shift, amen, a little more gratitude in our culture. study out of the University of California, Riverside, reported that grateful people experience more optimism, joy, enthusiasm, other positive emotions, and they have a deeper appreciation for life's simple pleasures. These researchers also found that by expressing gratitude for people in your life, like a friend or a romantic partner, you experience higher levels of satisfaction in those relationships. That doesn't seem like rocket science. If I complain at my spouse, it'll affect me. If I love her and cha- you know, appreciate her, things go better. The most intriguing fact, this is what I like though, the most intriguing fact to come out of this study though was that gratitude is a skill. Say that again. Gratitude is a skill that can be learned and nurtured much like perfecting your grandmother's secret recipe. So you can develop a recipe for gratitude in your life. You and me can develop a strategy for being more grateful, and it's going to impact our life. I I promise you it'll impact your kingdom life. It'll impact your prayer life. But it could also impact relationships, your health, your blood pressure. There's other things that we can do if we work on just becoming more grateful. So here's some ways to do it. Practice practicing gratitude. Uh, different parts of the literature, you can go online find all kinds of advice on this. If you're on Pinterest, you can find pages of how to develop things, uh, a more grateful heart. So uh, some people put together a gratitude jar or a journal. At the end of the night, they're writing down things that they're grateful for today. Good things that happened today. Some people were taking slips of paper and they're putting it in a jar. And every time something good happens, they would put that little note in the jar. And then at the end of the week, they'd open the jar and say, this was an awesome week. Look at all the good things that happened this week. Just a way to make them happy. Rather than open up a beer, they open up their gratitude jar and just say, wow, this is, look what's happened this week. Good stuff has happened. Writing a thank you letter to someone who's helped you. Just taking time out to say thank you. So the clerk or somebody at the store or the manager or somebody on the job or a friend or somebody that just impacted you, to write a letter expressing gratitude, it blesses them but also helps us. Five-minute favors for someone less fortunate. Seeing someone less fortunate and in gratitude saying, God, I thank you, I have a car and this guy's walking, I'm going to give him a ride this week. I was at a store downtown the other day and... Uh, uh, he's an older guy walked up to me, and I couldn't quite understand him. His language is a little up. He was looking for the Social Security office. We began to talk, and then I said, okay, Sparrow, you're preaching on it. Do it. said, if you wait five minutes, I'm going to the store, and I'll give you a ride to the Social Security office. And we struck up a good conversation, and I saw him later that week. That, that idea that I'm going to do just a five-minute favor for somebody less fortunate and in that, I'm going to say, God, maybe they need help getting shoes. I got shoes, God. I want to help somebody because I'm grateful. Lord, I've had plenty to eat, you can tell here. But, uh, and, and, and this person doesn't have as much to eat. So, Lord, I'm going to do them a favor. I'm going to help them. I'm going to give them something to eat. Kind of comes with the idea of paying it forward. How many are familiar with that? And there's websites now and in, in, in institutes built on paying it forward. But I just ran across a couple cool stories This was a fatherless boy. He did this. He said, after finding a $20 bill in the parking lot of Cracker Barrel, an eight-year-old, Miles Eckert, did what few kids his age or even adults much older than him would do. He gave it to another customer he spotted, a soldier, Lieutenant Colonel Frank Daly, with this note. Dear soldier, my dad was a soldier. He's in heaven now. I found this $20 in the parking lot when we got here. We like to pay it forward in my family. It's your lucky day. Thank you for your service. Miles Eckert, a gold star kid. So he, he, he paid for that, that soldier's meal just because of that. And the word got out. He ended up on CBS too. But... <laughs> Formerly homeless couple who returned to keep the help going, and I've heard this story before. This is a story about a homeless couple that was served and helped by this center in a certain town. And after they got back on their feet, they decided they're going to go pay it forward and help somebody else who who is going through a tough time. And so they became uh, stars at this center, giving back because of how they've been blessed. The booster seat this cop chose to buy. When Emirate Township Public Safety Officer Ben Hall pulled over a woman for a traffic violation, he saw that her 5-year-old son was sitting in a booster seat which he absolutely should have been, been in. He wasn't sitting in a booster seat which he absolutely should have been in. Thank you God for my glasses. And uh, instead of giving Alex De Lorenzo a ticket, Hall drove promptly over to Walmart, given that De Lorenzo said she knew the boy should be in a booster seat but couldn't afford one. He said it was the easiest 50 bucks I ever spent. DiLorenzo was beyond touched by the gesture and said, as soon as I can afford it, I'm going to be paying it forward too. So instead of a ticket, he bought him a booster seat. Kind of cool. This is at a pizza parlor in Philadelphia. And Mason Wortman runs a pizza shop in Philadelphia, appropriately named Wortman's. In an effort to help out homeless people in the city, which is a serious issue, he hatched a plan to allow customers to spend an extra dollar to prepay for a slice of pizza. And then he put a Post-it note on the wall. Homeless people could then redeem the post-it for a free slice. And as of last February, the restaurant has given away more than 10,000 slices of pizza, paying it forward at its best. So there's strategies to say thank you, amen? There's paying it forward. And there's exercise. I, I think there's no greater way to say thank you to God than saying, God, you've given me certain things, and I become a steward over those things, and I'm grateful to you because of that. And so the idea that you say, Th- through Thanksgiving, I've become a steward with it you've given me. I've developed the spiritual gifts you've given me. I've not shrunk back from using them. I've shared the resources you've blessed me with. I'm blessed to be a blessing. I have leveraged the opportunities open for me. I've net- met new people and I've networked with them. I've loved the spouse that you've blessed me with and I've fully cherished and nourished the children you've given us. Stand with me. When we, when we have that idea that we are stewards... And that we've been blessed with things and we use them to the fullest. That's a thanksgiving that goes back to God. Come on, read this with me and we're done. Whatever you do, no matter what it is, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord and and independence on him. Giving thanks to God the Father through him.